Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Well, think of it. They're against all of those things. The way they win is to cheat in elections. They cheat like dogs. <laughs> I got to tell you, Murphy, good to see you, but my dog, Mac who is like the nicest dog there is, never loses his temper, is completely <laughs> incensed. I mean, he's honest as the day is long, never yep. cheats, and he's getting impugned by, I mean, Donald Trump of all people. No, it's an insult to everything on four legs, although our uh, <laughs> Labra doodle poodle uh, dog, Daisy, I, I have seen her cheat at poker, I have to admit. <laughs> After a few beers, a biscuit or two, Max a Labradoodle, too, so they are smart enough to play poker. So every once in a while. Well, look, Ax, I'm willing to forgive Trump his dog insult simply <laughs> because I'm in a wonderful mood today. Because finally, finally, <laughs> that magic word, that magic word that illuminates Western civilization, Murphy, has taken over the podcast. Yes. Uh, we, we've got, this is the Murphy episode here. I've been waiting years for it, and I'll tell you why. Our guest is a meteor-like up-and-coming in the world of Democratic polling, uh, a real wizard on that side, and I'm going to let you do the particulars as we introduce her. I'll just enjoy the moniker. Yes, first of all, I'm great. Molly Murphy, welcome from Impact Research. Indeed, you are one of the great young stars in in, in polling. You, you're the... Uh uh, president of Impact Research, and uh, everywhere I go, people say, well, Molly Murphy says, so we needed to bring you on so you could tell us. I've got you well-stocked. I've, I've got the folks out there sort of intercepting you to let you know. My, my <laughs> people are doing their job then. They're, they're doing very well, and they think very highly of you. And I'm grateful because it very, very easily I could have been squeezed out for a third Murphy and I we tried. Got, <laughs> I got to keep. I got to keep my seat. But Molly, you're pulling all over the country uh, now, and these are confusing elections. Uh, you know, usually the these midterms follow a predictable pattern, uh, and this has been a different kind of year. So before we get into sort of the individual nature. Uh, the individuals, uh, particulars of these races, uh, just describe the cross currents that you're seeing uh, as we sit here five weeks out. Sure. And first, thanks so much for having me. Glad to to be a second Murphy on the phone. Uh, and <laughs> you're, yeah. you're the smarter one. So <laughs> yes, I consider you the first Murphy. The other guy's oh, tagging well, hey, along I'll here. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll yeah. take it. Uh, yeah. So thanks for having me. And this is absolutely we never thought on October 4th, you know, a year and a half ago, a year ago even, I don't think any of us would have predicted that, you know, Democrats would be favored, according to the models, to keep the Senate. Uh, and you'd be seeing think pieces coming out about saying, hey, don't write off Democrats at the House just yet. I think that this has been uh, quite the roller coaster since Biden took office, both from, you know, lows at different points, but also uh, particularly since Dobbs and the overturning of Roe completely changed the expectations for what is going to happen in this election. Um, since Trump took office, for better or worse, Democrats have been pretty motivated. And even in 2021, not a great, you know, off-year election for Democrats generally, it wasn't that there was a massive drop-off in Democratic engagement, much like we saw in 2014 midterms. Um, but since Dobbs, if you look at all of the specials, Democrats are motivated, they're enthusiastic. We're seeing it in all of our polls. There was an immediate seismic shift in voter enthusiasm on the Democratic side uh, after the Dobbs decision came down. And in that wake, in that sort of immediate, you know, couple of weeks of polling period after that happened, we thought, okay, well, this may just be, you know, the, the news cycle of it all. This may be a July thing. And by the time we're into August, people will, will have moved on. We're not seeing evidence of that. And so it, do I think that this changes things entirely? No. Be but careful I think because it makes we, we, big... we, we have a device here that goes off if our guests uh, uh, spin too aggressively. So yeah. <laughs> I just warn you that before you give your answer. 
Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, and do do I think that all of a sudden uh, everything is going to be different going into the midterms, that it isn't going to be hard for Democrats? I, I don't think that. It's going to be very difficult. I think a year ago, we might have thought that we would be defending what is traditionally considered to be fairly blue districts and blue states. And we're still playing on the same turf that we were playing on in 2020 and in the seats we picked up in 2018. You know, I'm the, I'm the grumpy contrarian about this, but I'll, I'll be, I, here's what I agree with. Dobbs is big. Now, how it's going to manifest itself is still uncertain territory. And I, I'm just so Jurassic. I'm almost as old as Axelrod here that, uh, I mean, he started with. Uh, that's, with that's why you got one of those alligator polo shirts on today, I noticed. Right, but, exactly. It's, we get them at the retirement community. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I, I've been through so many cycles where this time it's different. And if you if you put a gun to my head, I would still bet history because you take the normal off year pain. And I don't think it's a I don't think it's that ideological. I don't think it's a red wave, a blue wave. It's just to punish the president wave. Uh, that red button is a popular thing now. In seven of the last eight elections, we punished the party in power at the polls. And you add to that inflation, which is real and painful. And you add to that the president's numbers, which have improved a little, but they've gone from awful to just kind of not great. Um, it's just, and, and seeing these center races start to tighten, I know we're going to dive in. I don't know if the turnout looks anything like normal for an off-year election. Um, I'm dubious. I think there's been a little bit of a confirmation bubble, and we've seen them on the Republican side too in Democratic world because there was some good summer polling on the generic ballot, though that's a question I've never trusted, at least until the week of the election. Um, and so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I buy any of this. If I had to bet, I'd bet against it. But, you know, this could be different this time. Something big did happen. And we've seen some tremors in the specials and, and the, the Kansas primary. But I don't know. Put, put me down as thinking it's looking like revert to mean, which means the Democrats could even lose the Senate despite the many boxes of hammers that are running as Republican candidates. This is so exciting. Murphy versus Murphy. I can't <laughs> believe I have a— Oh, we agree on about half of it. It's just which way the coin flip will go. Molly, I mean, I, I do think that the question is, do these sort of— uh, extraordinary forces, Dobbs. And I don't think it's just Dobbs. I think it's Trump's full-throated re-entry into the leadership of the Republican Party, the kind of some of the really terrible candidates he's helped nominate, or I shouldn't say terrible, but vulnerable candidates he's helped uh, nominate. Uh, you know, the question you is whether say those- terrible. They're pretty terrible. <laughs> right, fine, fine. The- uh, yeah, I guess you're right about that. No, they're, the, they're really uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, those things combined with Dobbs uh, are extraordinary kind of interventions in this election. But there are gravitational forces uh, that tend to pull in favor of the uh, in favor of the opposition party, and they only need five seats to take over the House. They only That's need right. they only need to flip one to take over the Senate. That's right. So uh, here's what I think. Uh, first, I think in a midterm, part of the reason that the president's party loses seats is your base gets complacent. And also, you can't please anyone. You get there, you took down, you know, you slayed the beast, you, you won your election. Um, you only have down to go from there to some degree. You're never going to please everyone. People, you know, feel like they did their job to get you there and they don't feel as motivated to go support your party in the midterms. They're frustrated or complacent. Um, nothing motivates people like an enemy and nothing motivates like anger. And until Dobbs, uh, Democrats didn't have any of that. You know, we even saw some slippage in um, Biden's numbers with Democrats going into the summer, just with, I think, a malaise setting in. And so that has shifted. And I think for a lot of the voters, and I think Trump plays a role in it, and the fact that he has not just, you know, sort of retreated back to Mar-a-Lago quietly, uh, that I think that also is a reminder. And I think that that is the fuel, the accelerant that Democrats need. Now, there are a lot of voters in the middle who may still ultimately say, I don't like the overturning of Roe, but inflation is a bigger issue for me. But I think that it is all about, let's assume that this is still historical, you know, gravitational pull prevails and Democrats lose seats. I think it's all a matter of also 
what you climb back from uh, going into 2024. And I think that what I feel encouraged by is if we are currently on October 4th debating the possibility that Democrats could keep the Senate, um, the House, I think, is, is a harder debate, but still we're not talking about 50, 60 seat losses anymore. Doesn't mean it can't happen. We've already indicated that this may buck a more familiar trend from the past couple of midterms, which is to say that Dobbs was significant. Um, and maybe that Trump is still very significant and a force in these midterms, uh, which would be sort of counter to history with a non-incumbent president playing a countervailing role in a midterm election. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, if it wasn't for Trump, if Trump was ordered back to Jupiter and we didn't have this Trump madness and we had kind of a normal uh, a Republican Party in opposition right now, I think we'd run the table. So it, it's one of these things where is is the is the different stuff enough or not? And I think the Senate races are going to tell the story. Uh, and boy, the bad candidates have gotten worse. You want to pivot into a few? I'd love to talk about Herschel Walker, who apparently was fighting <laughs> the pro-life fight by trying to bring down the whole abortion deal from the inside. You know, he was subverting it all. There are allegations that he actually paid uh, for an abortion for somebody between pro-right-to-life speeches. Um, do we think that'll stick in Georgia? He has been remarkably resilient on the wave can elect an anvil theory. Uh, and I'm not still convinced he's still he's toast over this, but it's definitely a hit. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know, right? George, the Georgia Senate race, maybe the the Pennsylvania governor's race too, both of those feel like the races where there's no playbook you can really bring into the conversation. It's all just so bizarre and so outside of the realm of normal campaign, uh, campaign oppo that it's hard to really know how this plays. I think that Herschel Walker could have, as a better candidate, put this race away. You know, Raphael yeah. Warnock is a tremendous candidate and is running a very good race, but it is a very tough cycle, uh, as noted. And he just hasn't. He's unpopular. This race is competitive because the environment is difficult. And it does seem like he has had one embarrassing and shameful setback after another, this just being perhaps the biggest one of it all. And I think the other piece of it is, quite honestly, the fact that his son has now come out yeah. and mm -hmm. added extra allegations and deepened some of the prior, you know, allegations and things of that nature that I think deepens this even further. If this was a one story on paying for a woman's abortion a number of years ago, I'm with you. I think he probably walks that off or, or at least is able to sort of claw, claw back. But I also think when your son is coming out, reminding people of a history of violence, of a history of not being present, of a history of being a hypocrite on these values, uh, it's a longer conversation and it's harder to rush under yeah. the rug. Let's listen, let's listen to a little tape of uh, Herschel uh, with Hannity last night responding. Start with the Daily Beast, Herschel. I mean, serious accusations that in 2009 that you paid for an abortion. First question, do you know the woman that is making this allegation? I have no, no idea, but it is a flat-out lie. And, uh, and now you know how important this seat is. This seat is very important that they'll do anything to win this seat, lie, because they want to make it by everything else except what the true problems that we have in this country is. This inflation, the border wide open, crime. They don't want to talk about that. So they're making up lies now because they need this Georgia seat. So I'm going to encourage anyone out there, let's not let them take this seat. Let, if you can go to TeamHerschel.com, let's not let them take this seat because if they take this seat, we won't recognize this country tomorrow. So he's taking a, a, a page from the uh, Trump playbook and basically denying everything. And, uh, you know, in the past, as you said, Mike, this would, you know, this would be this would be doomsday for him. Uh, but all the sort of sources have been so impeached uh, by, you know, Trump among the base uh, that you wonder if everybody's just going shirts and skins here and the base 
sticks with him. I mean, Trump himself, there are all they, they, there are plenty of allegations about Donald Trump and his personal life that just kept coming and coming. And he, you know, his support among the uh, uh, evangelical voters was pretty significant. Yeah, I think it's classic take aside tribalism and they're dug in. The other factor he has working for him besides the the generic punish Biden who cares about the challenger, it's not about him stuff and, you know, inflation, all that is when you're when you're impressively credentialed outside of politics and you have that kind of equity behind you and it's a wrong track year and people want to go out and punish politics, man, you are you better bring kryptonite. Because they just give you a long leash. So we're seeing. Now, the way he's emphatically calling everybody a liar, though, he is he's throwing logs on this, which means now we're going to hear from her and her friends she told about it and maybe the worker at the clinic who remembers. Uh, so, you know, I when candidates are in trouble and trying to deny and move on, I'm, I'm not a big fan of telling them to call everybody a liar because now we're going to have a big who's lying contest. And that that gives the other guys some time to to chew on them and elevate the story. All that said, uh, although personally it's it's a fatal bullet for me, and I wasn't for Herschel to begin with, uh, I'm still not sure uh, mm-hmm. in this environment that he won't survive. Well, one of the, one of the questions is they're they're he, they're not the only ones on the ballot. Georgia has a runoff rule as we saw a, a runoff laws we saw dramatically in 2020 uh, what are the odds as close as this is that this thing goes to a runoff i think it's very likely yeah. uh, you know i mean i certainly if this is if all of the sort of dobbs energy if all of the you know dem enthusiasm is a summer thing and by the time election rolls around he could win outright certainly uh, I, I think that it is fairly likely that this goes to a runoff because there are a number of Republicans who do not want to vote for Herschel Walker, but they also do not want Senator Warnock to be their senator. And I think having a runoff option gives those voters a protest vote chance. Yeah. This may be something that even moves it further, but I think even prior to this, um, his numbers, his personal numbers, not his election voting ballot numbers, his personal numbers are poor, and he does have, you know, an unusually high number of Republican voters from the polling I've seen who don't like him. And so I think that that creates this runoff opportunity. Uh, what happens then, I think, also depends on what happens nationally uh, in November. Exactly. Yeah, because if uh, if this becomes the race that determines control of the Senate, then I actually like Walker's chances better in a race like that, where those Republicans who you're talking about who really don't want to vote for him just swallow it and say, you know what, this is not about him. It's about whether it's you know Mitch McConnell or or or, uh, or Schumer is going to control the Senate. So uh, yeah, can you uh, imagine that? First, we're going to have the epic Senate battle to decide the Senate. Then we're going to have the runoff to decide the Senate all over again. It is going to be the biggest cash cow for you know direct response uh, uh, email fundraisers in the history of politics it's going to be i'm going to go buy a tv station in atlanta if you guys want to get in on it because <laughs> yeah this thing is going to be re- i remember a little of this because i worked for uh, on, on uh, coverdale against fowler and these 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 georgia rematch things are incredible so yeah country just when you think politics is over we get to do it all again in a runoff yeah, which only will delay getting into a presidential race, which will start almost immediately. So there's always politics, folks. That's why you need. That's why there's hacks on tap. Right, right. And we cover the the hard hitting stuff. Like over in Pennsylvania at Oz headquarters, they're like, "Why is Herschel Walker getting all the attention? Let's get the story out about all the the hundred puppies I killed in medical <laughs> research." Which is yeah, another, speaking of dogs, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Matt Mac is very upset about that as well. By the way. I would think so. I would think so. I, I, I know he's had a plan to take care of that North Korean leader, but now he's got to move <laughs> his enemies list over to over to this guy. So, look, it was legit medical research, but apparently the allegations are it was conducted in a way that didn't follow the guidelines for protecting animals. And, you know, apparently hundreds of dogs were killed. Well, <laughs> this is going to be big. And that's another race that was closing, but it'll move the spotlight. I mean, yes, I am a loving dog owner, but do you think that will that's going to move the race? Yeah, 
I, I think, I don't know if it'll save them, but it won't be about crime this week. It'll be, be about dog murderer. And in the pop culture we have now where dogs are people, uh, yeah. I, I Now, again, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if it has a bigger impact than the Herschel stuff does because Pennsylvania is a little more fertile uh, for Dems and a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I think it's going to be big. That said, the wave, even a dog-killing nutty TV doctor from New Jersey could win. I like the idea that this story shifts the focus back onto Oz. When the focus is on Oz, this race is very good for Fetterman. And I think yeah. the reason in part that it has tightened, some of it's spending. I mean, part of this, this poll tightening that we're seeing, you know, into October is a direct response to Republicans really ramping up their spending in a bunch of these races. But I also think in Pennsylvania in particular, the fo- this race was entirely about Oz and the Fetterman campaign was prosecuting it fantastically. And the Oz campaign was not responding well. They just were stepping in at time after time. They finally got their footing making these assertions about Fetterman's health. And then they sort of move into crime and the focus shifted. And I think that this hopefully gives the opportunity to shift focus back again in ways that go to Oz's character, which is the way they've been prosecuting it the entire time. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the reasons that they had such a good summer was uh, the focus was entirely on Oz because Fetterman wasn't out there. He's out there now and mm-hmm. he's, 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 he's being scrutinized. And, you know, it's not really his health that is moving uh, people. They are painting him as a, you know, he, his, his appeal is this sort of uh, blue collar, every man appeal. Uh, now they're painting him as a kind of left wing trust fund baby Bernie Sanders, you know, guy, and they've lit on this one issue of his chairmanship of the uh, uh, parole board there. And like almost everywhere else where they can, Republicans are leaning heavy into this issue of crime. Uh, and talk about that, Molly, in your, in your research, uh, how, how much stickiness is there? Because there is a lot of anxiety, particularly in metropolitan areas, about crime right now. Crime is a big issue. Crime is a powerful wedge for Republicans in massive swaths of the country. And crime statistics really don't play as big a role. You know, it, it doesn't sort of matter whether you live in a place where crime is on the rise, whether it's been stable. It is. Right. It's perception. I, yeah. It's perception. And. I think that what Republicans have done very effectively is not really make it about the issue, but make it about the values. What kind of values do Democrats have if they do not think crime is a problem? In terms of crime, Democrats, I think, have not mounted the kind of defense that they need to. I think Republicans have also made this more of a values comment um, by really raising the question of, what kind of person, what kind of, you know, elected official would be unbothered by a rise in crime? And even in a lot of places, go so far as to say they come to the defense of the criminals rather than the victims of crime. And it goes beyond the issue itself. And I think that they have touched into something deeper that raises deeper questions about whoever the Democrat is that they're, you know, lodging those attacks against. And I think that as a party, Democrats have not done enough to brand themselves as a party that cares about keeping people and communities yeah. safe, even if individuals have. Yeah, you got that whole, you know, the whole intimation of defund police exactly. wound, mm-hmm. it wound in there. And look, let's be candid. This is a backdoor way of, uh, uh, of invoking, uh, you know, race in yep. these elections. And, you know, that's been, you, you can see it, uh, you know, in the Wisconsin race, uh, where Mandela Barnes, uh, the lieutenant governor, has, you know, been under heavy barrage of uh, negative ads relative to crime, African American candidate, and I, I think here too. I mean, I just this has been a go-to for Republicans for a long time. But oh, look, it goes back to Dukakis in '88. You know, right. your w- wife would be raped, and he well, sociology teaches us. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Molly may not have been born then. I'm not sure, but that was That's why we're around here, the institutional memory. But you you go to Republican campaign hack school. It's like going to the Country Music Academy, lesson one, day one. All right, here are the three chords. We're going to start there. And crime is a wedge. And the reason it works so well, beyond all the reasons that Molly outlined, which I agree with, is when you have something to grab onto, 
like a defund the police. And in the case of Fetterman, you know, you talk to any Connor Lamb person in the Democratic primary, they would say, you know, the R's are going to kill him when they find out on the parole board he's been the most advocate on the progressive side we've ever seen. I mean, he's got two convicted felons working on the campaign. They also did a clever thing because they've pitted him in some of their ads against Josh Shapiro, the Democrat candidate for governor. He also sits on the parole board and opposed uh, Fetterman on a lot of these. Exactly. So when you have a hook, a symbolic hook, and the Dem, particularly the progressive, starts to wiggle because deep down they think they're right and the bulk of public opinion on this could be wrong. You know, it's gold. And Republicans have run this play a thousand times. And Democrats, not all, but some, like Fetterman, leave the door wide open for it. So here we are, real life on the campaign trail. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, X, after years of suffering from big wireless providers, even though some have been my clients in the past, if I've learned anything, it's that they have a lot of lawyers and there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? What's the trick? Where's the fine print? And, 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 and. Well, we put our crack consumer reporter on this, Hannah, one of our producers, and we're setting it up for the great wireless test with Mint Mobile. She's got it. She's going to try it out. We're going to report back in the next spot. But from what we've heard, this thing is a winner. Their secret sauces are the first company to sell wireless service online only. They take all the cost out of retail stores and those logos on the shirts. They take all that cost out and they pass the savings on to you with wireless service that's clear, effective, and only $15 a month. And do you want a shirt or do you want great phone service? For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. As Mike said, Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint Families Start, at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G. And 5G is important. It works better. Network. So here's the great thing. They also don't load you into a phone on some you'll be paying for the next four years. You can use their network on your phone. They give you the SIM card. So you keep the phone you like. You don't pay it. You're not forced. 15 bucks a month. You plug in the SIM and you're on a great network. Yeah, you switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. You save a Mint, apparently. Maybe that's where the name comes from. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash hacks. That's mintmobile.com slash hacks. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month of big savings at mintmobile.com slash hacks. And tune in next week to hear what Hannah has to say. Hey, Molly, let me, let me ask you something that relates to both these races, and that is rural voters. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened in 2016 and 2020 is that the rural turnout Rural and small town turnout was uh, for Trump was what uh, it eclipsed the estimate that polling suggested. I'm trying to be gentle here to your <laughs> profession. I've got calluses. I'm fine. Go. You can, <laughs> you can be harsh. Yeah, no pollsters without them. <laughs> but um, in 2018, that wasn't the case. Trump wasn't on the ballot. That wasn't the case. There's been some. Uh, there were some pieces in the last few days about the special elections that Democrats have won in the, over the summer, rural turnout uh, being somewhat low in those in those races. Do you have any sense of that? I mean, it, I guess everybody is sort of a little bit, well, we don't know what's really coming, and will these all these Trump voters come out in these uh, in these uh, elections? Because in Virginia, there was a huge rural turnout last year, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, if a pollster has learned anything from 2016 and 2020, it's not how to tell if rural voters are going to show up, but how to say, I don't know. Uh, and just to uh-huh. say, I don't know, is a CYA going into any election. Well, well done. I, I admire that. Yeah, thank you. The one lesson we've gotten from it. Uh, in, in all seriousness, I would say that every campaign I am working on, every pollster or consultant or campaign manager I talk to 
we are all anticipating record high turnout in these midterms, really coming from both sides. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, you know, perhaps there will be some amount of, you know, rural voter. Trump is not on the ballot. Some of the Republicans may be trying to do sort of talk out both sides of their mouth on Trump, and that turns them off and keeps them home. But, you know, as I said earlier, anger is a huge motivator. And these rural voters do not like Democrats. They do not like Biden. And they do not like all of the spending that they have perceived to be sort of continuing to reinforce the problems in the economy. And so while I hope that many of them stay home, if they're going to come out and vote against Democrats, I I think we plan for it. Specials are also in the summer are not Uh very are not terribly good predictors at times on issues like that. So, but, but in the great in the great spirit of trying to predict turnout, I predict, by the way, it'll be like an off year, a little better than usual turnout. But here's a, yet another anecdotal predictor. At the world-leading USC Center for the Political Future, we do an aggressive voter registration drive with the kids on campus. We've won awards for the highest like success rate. This year, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, ma- we'll, we'll match. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Chicago, Chicago playing catch up, but doing their best. Actually, I'm on your board, so I'm for everybody to win. Bottom line is, we've had a huge surge in voter registration on campus, unlike anything we've ever seen. Dobbs, I think we don't have data to prove it. So it, there's no in, doubt in the, in the 19 New York 19 special, the college towns blew up. So there is something going on there. I just don't know if it's enough to stop a 20 foot wall of water. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think. The, the minute that Dobbs thing came down, you know, I mean, the, I think one of the great fears was complete disinterest on the part of young people in this election. And I think that had a lot to do with re, reinvigorating interest. And we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it on our campus as well. Dueling transitions. Can I dive into a race I think is every bit as important as Pennsylvania, but is getting no attention? You go ahead. But we got to cover we got to cover uh, Nevada because that's that's what I was going to bring up. Look at this. We got hacks, okay. telepathy, Nevada, yes. Yes. critical I, race, critical race. I also race. got your message on my Zoom. Well, yeah, you read ahead. your text, too. Yeah. You see, that's how we rig this thing, folks. It's, uh, <laughs> bottom line. So we have Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, incumbent. She's been in trouble for a while. A purple state that tilts a little blue, at least it has recently, used to be a Republican. Big Latino vote, critical Latino vote, highly unionized, not always the story everywhere, Latino vote. Adam Laxalt, famous name, grandson of the long-term Reagan confidant and senator, Paul Laxalt. And on the indexing, it's about as pro-choice a state in opinions as California is. Yet, she can't seem to shake Laxalt. It's a margin of error race. Uh, what do we think? Because it could decide the Senate for all the talk about vital Pennsylvania and important Georgia. Yes, this is about this is about Vegas and stuff. So you, you're making a bet here, Molly. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's not getting a lot of discussion. It's not getting a lot of attention. I, I think that has been to some degree a bit of a story on Nevada, you know, that that it's becoming more purple. It's becoming more purple. Uh, I think because of the Latino voters who, not just in Nevada, but across the country, are not moving away from Democrats in that they vote Republican, um, but not supporting Democrats at the margins they historically have. And I mm-hmm. think when you look at sort of the the explanation as to why, um, it's a huge working class, non-college educated Latino population. And Democrats are having problems with non-college educated working class voters. And it's not a white non-college problem that Democrats have. It's just a non-college educated working class problem. So we see that there. And that's, you know, that is really sort of the crux of the issue. Uh, and can can Democrats win back these Latino voters, shore them back up to 2016 type levels? Um, or is this erosion sort of more persistent? There's just not the same growing white college educated suburban population there like you're seeing in a you know phoenix suburbs or that you see in other parts of the country that are turning some of these states a little more blue so nobody's talking about it i think a lot of people do still think of nevada as much more reliably dem than it has been in recent years i mean what what's interesting about that is you've got the first uh, latina elected to the senate uh, on the ballot. And yet that doesn't seem, at right. least in these statewide polls, uh, there may be some variance in these district-wide polls, but in these statewide polls, uh, 
she seems not to be rolling out big numbers uh, among uh, yeah. among Hispanic voters. She's had a problem in her numbers for a while. She's been vulnerable, kind of like Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. And I've been surprised in in a year with all this electricity around Roe and and the repeal of rights that as the incumbent in a heavily pro-choice state, she hasn't been able to put the race away. That's a real tell to me. Uh, that this one could be a a, a late bit of West Coast time zone bad news uh, in the Senate races. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the other piece that is, you know, sort of worthy of some of this is the races that have Republicans who are not Herschel Walker or Dr. Oz or Ron Johnson, you know, just sort of the full-on embrace of the crazy, unqualified Blake Masters in Arizona, um, just do tend to escape scrutiny. I think you could say the same is happening in the North Carolina Senate race. Ted Budd is is not a good recruit. Uh, Adam Laxalt, certainly better than that. But when you are not sort of tagged in the national conversation as one of the bad Republicans, one of the unqualified Republicans, I think you also tend to uh, assure voters that they can make the choice to vote for that Republican because there are worse ones out there. And and the House yeah. level, they've got competitive House races with some real crazies. And I think that probably also reflects pretty well on Laxalt yeah, and I all think. of that, too. The other thing, just for junkie world, Laxalt's been interesting because his tactic on the abortion issues has been on go on the offense. Oh, yeah? You know, you're for late-term abortions, which is a equally unpopular extreme position. And he's prosecuted that against her to tangle things up a little. And, you know, I'm not in the middle of the race. I'm not seeing all the data, but that appears to be uh, giving them a little cover. And so it may be seen as a drain. Molly, you, you, you're involved there. I think you're doing some polling there. So my partners are. Mm-hmm. Is that true what Murphy's saying? He's, he's made this point several weeks, and I haven't really looked into it. I've is only there, made it has, one other time. It's, uh, uh, it, we'll go back and check the tape. But anyway, <laughs> uh, what, what do you uh, – has he mounted a uh, – uh, has he muddied the waters on that issue, or has he changed the subject in ways that that uh, have benefited him? I truthfully haven't followed it that closely. Okay. My partners are the ones who are uh, more involved there. So, so either way, no matter what the facts are, Murphy's right on this. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Yes, exactly. Murphy's right on, on this. In this conversation, absolutely right. So, uh, I just want to quickly touch base on on North Carolina. I, that's a state you've, where you've done a lot of work. Quite a bit. You know mm-hmm. that that race is uh, is you know it's it's basically a close to tied race, mm-hmm. uh, and yet. You know, you talk to my, the, the, the there hasn't been the kind of massive investment in there by Democrats. It's a little bit like, I mean, we used to look at Missouri years ago that way, mm-hmm. kind of, is this a fool's gold kind of race? Uh, how much do you believe in that race as a Democrat? How much do you believe in that race? And you may be conflict of, uh, conflicted out, but maybe this is a better question. Uh, what What's going to determine the outcome of that race? So I, I do have, I am involved in that race uh, on the IE side. Uh, so I, I think that there is a little bit of a feeling that, you know, the last time a Democrat won a Senate race in North Carolina was 2008. And it's always close. You know, Democrats always kind of fall just short and in a cycle with much more limited resources than in 18 or 20. Uh, and, you know, in a cycle where there's, you know, massive incumbent protection efforts, that it does feel like the type of thing that Democrats are keeping their powder a little bit dry and waiting to see what happens. Um, what's going to determine the outcome of the race, you know, will be white college educated voters in the research triangle and in the Charlotte suburbs. Um, and, and also relying on high black turnout. Um, that really has sort of waned in recent years compared to when President Obama was running in an office and you saw very high black turnout. Now, I think that latter piece you have is an interesting American because candidate. Yeah. Sherry Beasley, exactly, is a very compelling black woman candidate. And I think the question is, is she going to be able to turn out black voters? And are these animated, educated, um, suburban women who we have seen mobilize, especially post-Dobbs, will they mobilize here? And I think those are going to be the two sort of important things. Both of those things need to happen. If just one happens, I don't think it will be enough to flip that seat. I've been very much 
touting the campaign of uh, Tim Ryan. I think he's run an amazing campaign in a really tough state. Uh, The question is, uh, is it just too tough a state? I mean, J.D. Vance is an epically bad uh, candidate. Uh, uh, Ryan is a particularly good candidate running a particularly smart campaign. Uh, And Speaking to those things, you know, you talk about this problem of the Democratic Party, which I think is more than a passing issue, uh, the the sort of uh, disengagement from uh, white working class, uh, not white, but working class voters generally uh, who don't have as strong a sense of identification, you know, as they once did. And of course, it's become among white working class voters sort of a, a, a hub of the Republican base. How, that race keeps coming in sort of tied. Mm-hmm. More fool's gold? So full disclosure, I'm Tim Ryan's pollster. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, but, Should but have known I'm that. Happy, yeah. <laughs> um, well, congrats on a well-run race in a you. tough place. Yeah, we just wanted to we just wanted to give you your uh, your kudos yeah. here. So. Well, so, so I think that, it, look, I think it's one of the more exciting races to watch because uh, you know, as much as there is this conversation about how do Democrats win back the working class voters, I tell everybody who asks me that question, look at Tim Ryan. 100%. He is, yeah, he is yeah. not betraying well, let's make values. Let's DNC chair, it. by the way. Yeah. It would help. Why would you punish him like that? <laughs> no, it's true. Sorry, Tim, I don't hate you. But if yeah. things don't work out in Ohio, in an even year without headwinds, I think he could pull it off. And it's not impossible now, but boy, it'll be hard, despite the brilliant campaign, in my view. It's going to be hard. And I think, you know, it, it's helpful that, you know, I think in any hard state or climate, you need to, you need both things to happen, which is a particularly a particularly odious Republican in a Republican-leaning state like Ohio is. And you've got that in J.D. Vance, who came out of the primary wounded, had no money, mounted really no rehabilitation effort, and has seemingly, you know, just sort of hoped that either Peter Thiel or Mitch McConnell was going to put him on their backs and carry him through November. And counted on the fact that he's got an R next to his name and that that will be enough in Ohio. And that's yeah. that's been his strategy, really, in some ways, quite blatantly. No, no real attempt to tell his story or win over voters. Tim, on the other hand, I think is doing a really impressive job, not just of appealing to working class voters, but I think so often Democrats feel like if they try to reach out and, and talk to these working class voters about the issues they care about, trade and jobs and manufacturing, they somehow have to sell out Democratic principles at the same time or, or throw, you know, different audiences under the bus. And I, I don't think that that's a I think that's a false choice. And I think that he is sort of executing that it's not. Um, I think that the biggest factor here is going to be money. And, and I think that that comes, you know, I come back to that in several of these races that have tightened since Labor Day. And people say, well, is this just Republicans coming home? Maybe some of it. But also, if you look at all of the spending data, Republicans have doubled down in, in a lot of these states. Over the summer, Democrats had the spending edge, and now Republicans do. And voters follow suit. Yeah, they've had to throw a lot of money into Ohio that they weren't uh-huh. expecting to throw. In fact, I think if Ryan doesn't make it, he'll. There may be a couple of other Democrats who owe yeah. their election to yes. him because uh-huh. he diverted. He forced them to spend so much money. You say maybe he can run for a DNC. You, you, should, you he should. <laughs> no, you're right. DNC I wouldn't chair. do it to him. No, but no, no. But I'm saying the strength of the race he's run. If Biden doesn't run for re-election, and we'll talk about that in a second, I think there's going to be people saying, "Hey, that guy should run for president," based on what we saw yeah, in, he did, this, but yes. in this race. Well, the, you know the tragedy here, which is the symmetry between the kookiness in both parties, so the Republicans are clearly winning right now. Is plenty of progressives going to see Tim Ryan lost because that moderate crap doesn't work? And if he'd only been a no, they're not. No, they're not. No, because he's going to come so much closer. And we'll be back. We'll be back on that. He's going to come so much closer than any. Then he should. No, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, same with O'Day, the Republican version of Ryan in Colorado, who's way overperforming by not being a Trump nut quite loudly. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Hello, Hackaroos. Welcome to the Hacks on Tap Radio Theater of Romance. I'm going to tell you 
about a love story, a political consultant, and a mattress. A mattress that just happens to be a sponsor, but no kidding, <laughs> David Axelrod, my brother hack here, has fallen madly in love with this Helix mattress. David, tell us about it. Look, I can't deny it. I love my mattress, and I'm, uh, you know, I tried it out because we are, in fact, sponsored by Helix Sleep. Here at Hacks on Tap, I felt obligated to do it. I fell in love with this mattress. It is personalized to you. They give you a test. They ask you a series of questions. Your mattress arrives on your front porch in a box. You clip open a plastic bag. The mattress unfurls. And it's honestly, Mike, the most comfortable mattress I've ever had. Folks, I can tell you, and Gibbs can't too, he never stops talking about it. When X said, I'm going to get this mattress, I was like, careful. What if you hate it? We might have to give, God forbid, a refund here. We don't believe in that, but he did it, and he loved it. He came into the studio happy as a clam. So look, the lesson I take from this, and my wife and I are about to uh, go down the same rabbit hole X did, because we need a mattress, you go take the sleep quiz, because that's really how you dial it in. All of us are different kinds of sleepers. You get the right match, then the magic box come, you open it up, you get the blob movie where the thing comes out. It's amazing. And you have not only a great mattress, you have a 10 or 15 year warranty depending on the model. And remember, here's the important thing. You get to try the thing for a hundred nights risk-free. If you don't love it, and I, Axelrod and I think you will, but if you don't, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund after 100 nights. So no way to lose. No, and plenty to gain. So good. I'm glad you're finally doing it. I've been urging this. This is all why Helix has been awarded the number one mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even and recommended X, by... And X. And X. Who needs GQ? Yes. Go for the real fashion icon. David Axelrod. Yes. Plus, doctors of sleep medicine and leading chiropractors all say get a Helix mattress. With a 100 sleep guarantee, you can't lose or pick it up if you don't like it. So where do they go, X? Where do they go to get one? Well, this is good news. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress mm. orders. Yep. And two free pillows for our listeners. And the pillows don't talk to you in the middle of the night and tell you who stole the election so you win again <laughs> so go to helixsleep.com slash hacks with helix better sleep starts now helix.com slash hacks Molly's working on an, a sleeper race that the National Democrats are ignoring because there's no Democratic candidate in it. But it's tied in her latest polling, one or two points. Uh, and disclosure, I've been doing the super PAC, but I want her to talk about Evan McMullen in Utah really quickly because it is a fascinating race. It is a fascinating race. Um, yes, I, I have the pleasure of working for Evan McMullen's campaign against Mike Lee. Uh, Democrats chose not to nominate a candidate. So it is, uh, it is Lee, uh, against Evan. There are some other third party candidates as well, but there's no Democratic line there. Um, and the race is very close. Um, Evan has run, I think, you know, a sort of below the radar because it's Utah. So who's ever looking at Utah, um, race where he has leaned into the fact that he is former undercover CIA, has strong, you know, security credentials, strong ethical credentials. Um, and is running a really powerful uh, message about sort of both parties have it wrong. I'm not going to listen to either one. And that's, that is very motivating to people. They don't often feel like they can vote third party and have their vote count, but they want to vote third party because they're frustrated with both of the parties. And so um, this Utah race will be an interesting one you know, as perhaps an experiment in some ways, but truly a, a pretty important and competitive race, notwithstanding the sort of experiment of it. Let me ask you a question about this, since you guys are both involved and I'm an honest broker here. Uh -huh. uh, you know, you say he's undercover CIA, but I'm sure Lee and his people are trying to portray him as undercover DEM. And, that, <laughs> and, and so if the race, uh, I imagine if you're a strategist on, on Lee's side, uh, your argument would be control of the Senate at stake, if uh yeah make it tribal right RD, exactly the exactly yeah. they haven't really done it well in my view but they're trying yeah isn't that the danger for you guys that yeah. is 100 yeah. and and they're also trying to do things 
they are running a little bit of a scattershot campaign. And I think that that's part of why this is competitive is the Lee campaign has not had a clear contrast message. At least at this point, there is still time. It's a combination of he's a secret Democrat or he'll be a pawn of the Democrats, to your point, David, but also um, trying to sort of make this very opportunistic for him. He ran for president. He's doing this for personal gain. And I think trying to call into question his moral fiber here so that I think if and when those Democratic attacks come, they're a little more credible. Um, They haven't made that stick yet. Evan has done a good job from day one of saying, I'm not going to caucus with the Democrats. And there's actually been paid media saying the problem in Washington is Schumer and McConnell. And so he's because he's not. He worked as a Republican staffer on the Hill. He's no wide eyed freak, but he's moderate center right. All right. okay. And he fits state. But the big problem. This is going to be an in-kind contribution if we keep going. Well, (laughs) that's okay. We uh, we we, this one's a worthy cause. The big problem is money, because right now on the Hill, McConnell's turning, you know, Jasper, send the torpedoes to Utah. So the question is. No 800 numbers here. Yeah. No, no. Evan McMullen sent it dot whatever. Um, It's all all about dollars. Uh, But if you believe in the rule of law, get behind him. I got two quick ones before we go to mail real quick. One is I noticed the Reverend Al Sharpton announced Biden's candidacy for president uh, yesterday, said Biden told him a a month ago that he was going to run again. And I thought, gee, I wonder how Biden feels about the Reverend Al announcing his candidacy. And and then I started thinking, maybe he wanted him to. Maybe he doesn't mind having that out there. It did no harm. It's just more gossip. You know, the way it was engineered, a staffer overheard Sharpton recounting the meeting. I I think it might have been a a legit leak. And people know Biden kind of wants to run. So I don't think it was a big starter gun deal. But he can't say it because that right. triggers so, all kinds of other things. But now the rumor's stronger and status quo remains. Not terrible for Biden. All right. So here's another one. Trump went ballistic on McConnell again, I think probably because McConnell endorsed the Electoral Act reforms. It came hours after yeah, he did bravo that. For McConnell. And he, he, he said in caps on his vaguely watched social media site that... Um, or scarcely watched, I should say. The ironically named Truth Social. <laughs> right up there of military intelligence. but That McConnell had a death wish, and he put that in caps, which I think was alarming in and of itself. And then he went and yeah, uh, racist. made a racial slur against uh, McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, who was in Trump's cabinet. I don't know. It's a weird, this seems like a weird thing where the prospective nominee for 2024, the leading candidate for 2024, is warring with the very powerful Republican leader in the Senate five weeks before a midterm election. You know, in the Republican star chamber, where a lot of people accommodated Trump, what you hear is Trump has gone so crazy that he's no longer effective. Time for a change. They won't say it publicly. They fear their primary voters. But that You know, if if Trump were out talking about gas prices and groceries and home mortgages, there'd be more like this guy can win. Now it's like we have a crazy old man. Get the smothering pillow. How do we do Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I saw Rick Scott on television on Sunday, uh, one of the Sunday shows, doing a tap dance. Dana Bash on CNN was asking about this. And it was like, well, you know, he's got a lot of nicknames for everyone. Talking about the racial racist slur of uh, Chow. You know, I'm sure he's got one for me and so on. So the unwillingness to take on Trump is still very evident, you know, publicly. We'll see if and when he runs again. I think that a lot of uh, a lot of people inclined to give him credit on sort of being, you know, this three dimensional chess player. These moments, I think, to me, confirm he's got one goal, which is himself, and he's got no core message. He hit, he hit a moment in time in 2016, and now that he feels the election was stolen, I he could talk about the economy. People still give him credit for the economy prior to COVID and for being a businessman. I, I just have such little faith he's ever going to be able to yeah. stick to a message, ever. If he were out there pounding on, ask yourself, voter, were you doing better with me or are you doing better with this crowd? He'd be outscoring. And the Republicans would be like, you uh-huh. know, let's let's put him back out there but he won't do it. He Well, he does that in these two-hour stand-ups. It's just that 
all the other stuff he right, does right. is the right. stuff that that every that people hear because they're so outrageous and so focused on uh, on his own grievances. I think you've said it many times, Mike, and we've we've all said, you know, the guy is much more effective when he's articulating other people's grievances than when he's articulating his yeah, own. Yeah, but his, his madness controls them, and they're the thing. All right, we're going to take a minute to pay the bills, and we'll be right back. Goodbye, stale. Hello, fresh. We have a great sponsor here at Hacks on Tap. Hello, fresh, where you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip those trips to the grocery store, the parking, the lugging the bags around. You don't need all that. You can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and here's the best part, affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit, David. Yeah, the second best part is it's really damn good. I've benefited from this. Uh, my wife Susan and I have uh, ordered Hello Fresh, and the meals are are really really good. So it's not just that the food comes to your door. That's great, uh, uh, you know, convenient and all of that. But it's all very very tasty. You know, if you're busy, it just makes life so much easier. Their quick and easy meals include twenty. Minute meals, low prep, and easy cleanup options. They take the stress out of mealtime with time saving, no fuss recipes ready in a snap and delicious recipes. You know, and it isn't just dinner. This is something people need to know about HelloFresh because it's not like, oh, okay, it's great, but I got to cook a big dinner. No, you can shop HelloFresh Market for quick breakfast, wholesome snacks, and even desserts. You'll find everything you need to satisfy your cravings at any time, any meal without stepping foot in a grocery store. Look, any idiot can do it because they measure it all out for you. Well, good. I'll try then. I'm, I represent America's any idiots and I'm looking forward to follow your lead and give HelloFresh a try. I was looking right at you when I said that. So, so here's how you get cooking and eating right away. You go to HelloFresh.com slash hacks 65. It's a salute to Axelrod's advanced age. HelloFresh.com slash hack 65. Then you use the code hack 65 for get it 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash hack 65 and use code hack 65 for 65% off plus free shipping. What a deal. HelloFresh. It's America's number one meal kit. Yum. All right, a 15-second junky flash, and we we'll go to the music. Okay. Check out the L.A. Mayor's Race, Caruso Surging. It's a three-point race in public polling, and I've seen private polling says the same thing. Things are heating up. Check it out online, Rick Caruso and Karen Bass. He should be closing the gap after spending $62 million of his own hey, money. Hey, it's not I mean, cheap to take on the lot. machine. Three, uh, yeah. three city council people in her investigation. And I think he's outspending her 10 to 1, so good for Well, she, she, she's got... Good for the consultant. She has the entire Democratic establishment in Democratic City. So anyway, keep an eye on that one, Hackaroos. And now, Jeff, cue the orchestra. It's listener if you have a question for the hacks, you can email it to us with the magic internet machine. All you got to do is send us an email at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. All right, this is for Molly from Ryan. Here in Houston, I saw tons of, quote, fan-made Trump flags. You can tell by the misspellings. Uh, come and take it <laughs> flags, Gadsden flags, Punisher logos styled after Trump, etc., etc. I never, all caps, see anything like this from the Dems, though. Why are Dems so reticent to create a real brand like the Republicans have? I think this is such an interesting question. Uh, and I, I don't know that I buy the premise of the question. I think it is true that right now, today, if you were to say sort of where is the branding, where's the homemade signage and the tattoos on the calf muscles and all of that, like that is absolutely, you know, points to not Republicans, but Trump, Trump specifically. And I think that we saw a degree of that during President Obama's first campaign, second as well, hope and a lot of sort of, you know, the butter Obama signs and, you know, all of those things uh, that sort of indicated that there was a real energy and connection between the base and the person they were rallying behind. Um, and Trump sort of has that as an individual. 
Uh, but I do think that there is still, you know, sort of the the shooting star type candidates that get some of this attention. I think we saw that in 2018 uh, with some of those emerging candidates. I think you see that really with AOC and a certain base behind her that sort of rally behind her and the things she says and does. Um, it's certainly true for Trump now, but I, I think that's always so much more about the individual and less about a party brand. I can't think of Republican party branding swag that sort of creates yeah. uh, a movement like this. We had the old Jack Frost elephant from the 70s, and then they now have a more violent, thundering elephant. And Bernie had had a lot of graphic, iconic stuff. I agree, candidates. We, we hear all the time, I mean, all the time from hand-wringing Democrats that, you know, why are the Republicans so effective in messaging and Democrats are ineffective? You know, we won a couple of presidential races I, I was involved in. You know, we, we had a pretty good year in 2018 as Democrats. I think what happens is when you win, you look like your messaging is good. And when you're when you lose your your messaging uh, is is not good. And uh, in between, each side says the other side is doing good messaging uh, because they're pissed that their their side's not doing better. True. It's just frustrating. True. I hear you. I hear you. But I'll still say the Hillary logo last time looked like the parking for a European hospital. Well, yeah, and she lost. Right. Exactly. That's your point. I get it. I'm trying to back yes. you up here a little bit. Uh, all right. Good. Um, now, all right. I, I'll back you up with a... Here's a question. Okay. You're you're a former ink stain wretch yes. uh, for yes. the great Chicago Tribune at one time. Once great, yes. Yeah, once great. Exactly. Here's a question from Sasha. Why is the Associated Press the go-to source for calling elections? Lots of news outlets make projections and forecasts to call elections, but it often seems like the AP call is the most conclusive and is referenced by other news outlets as an authoritative election result. So how does AP do it? This is interesting under the hood stuff. Yeah, this is this has been true for time immemorial because AP does two things. They have uh, they have stringers at, in every precinct, right. and they gather uh, the returns at the source. They call them in, uh, and then they have people who have uh, who are expert in the states they're covering, who are steeped in turnout numbers and history, and uh, can do math. And uh, <laughs> they're very very reliable. I, I will say, uh, you know. John King is very, very good, my colleague at CNN. One of the reasons he's very good, he's a veteran Former, of the yeah. Associated Press, you know, and he understands how you, you know, on election night, what I do is I've got in front of me a notebook full of county by county history. Uh, and, you know, I mean, and, and you end up doing a lot of math on uh, election night. Associated Press does it well. They're, they've been very reliable and trustworthy. They're very conservative. And, and it's breadth of staff, as you say. They can have people in a lot of places reporting the count as it comes in. One of the uh, great scenes in the 2008 campaign was during the Nevada caucuses. There was a dispute about one delegate that was up in the air and the AP vote counter was on the line with the Obama campaign vote counter. And there are like 200 reporters listening into their conversation. And then finally, the AP guy said, I think you're right. I think you guys won one more delegate than Hillary Clinton. And that became, we lost the popular vote there. And that became a, a big thing. But they, they, they carry a lot of weight and for good reason. So I uh, I think that they will remain a reliable source uh, when it comes to elections, except maybe to Donald Trump. Mike Murphy, there are a couple of questions that came in about Florida and the, the hurricane, and our thoughts go out to all those who have lost uh, loved ones and homes and livelihoods in this, uh, in this storm. Joanne says, how can it possibly be politically advantageous for Florida's congressmen to all vote against disaster relief the week a massive hurricane hits their state? And then William asks, how will uh, Hurricane Ian impact the upcoming election in Florida, but also other states affected by the storm? Well, hurricane politics are tricky. I've been through that in my Florida life a couple of times as a political advisor. I'd say a couple of things. One, the easy, though emotionally hard part, is the actual crisis. Florida has a very good emergency management system. So does California because they face it a lot. So you kind of let the machine run. You have your role as governor. You're out there in all the optics. 
Uh, though I don't think DeSantis did himself so great with the picture today of him with the Nancy Sinatra white boots. Um, but but that that's the easy part. The hard part is the aftermath when people need support and services. You got to get power on, fresh water. You got to get emergency services. And that's where it can go sideways and where you can be blamed. And then, of course, the partisan politics fire up. Now, it's not advantageous for these guys to have voted against aid in the past and now be all for it. They look like hypocrites. The problem is when you look like a flip-flopping hypocrite, critical politician for a lot of voters that means you look normal the expectations and the the you know the the stakes are fairly low so this will be the democratic attack line but i think the real threat to desantis and other people is how we're going to be in four or five days here with the Mm -hmm. rebuilding the power getting economic aid to people who need it uh and, and all the hard work that you have to be organized and effective to do in the wake of a terrible disaster like this. So we'll see. Well, you know, one of the interesting things is uh, President Biden's headed to Florida to see how DeSantis deals with him. Remember Chris Christie back in the Hurricane Sandy in 2012, right before the presidential election, uh, greeted President Obama, who came to uh, examine uh, the damage and had worked closely with Christie to deal with this. You hear now DeSantis saying that federal government's been very helpful. He's been saying nice yeah. things about about uh, Biden and the and the, administ- and the administration's handling of this, which is completely out of step with what he's been. How friendly will he be uh, when super? Gre- I mean, he won't be my best buddies here, but we're working together around the clock. I appreciate the government's help. I've asked for the Air Mobile Division of the be activated. It'll all be government stuff, and and DeSantis is smart. He can turn on a dime. Because remember, DeSantis, in my view, doesn't believe any of this stuff. He believes in DeSantis getting elected. So the red hat will be off. The smart governing guy on top of the thing working with the president will be on. Biden will leave. If he negotiates the hurricane aftermath well, the red hat will be back on and it'll be business as usual. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I'm just talking about the I'm just talking about the one thing. You know, the thing that Christie got confronted with con- uh, consistently during his presidential race was the photo of him sort of, uh, you know, in a warm kind of, I don't, it wasn't an embrace, but it was portrayed as such uh, with Obama. And yeah, that, the, you the know, the picture won't go there. Yeah. No, no I, I think, yes. No I'm hugs. sure he's got a picture of the thing framed in his secret presidential room <laughs> with the map in New Hampshire and the hundred things not to do <laughs> closet. And he's practicing right now a firm handshake from three feet. What we have to practice now is discretion about time. And uh, thank Molly Murphy for joining us. Hope you come back often. We've recorded all of your carefully calibrated predictions, and we'll play them back for you after uh, <laughs> November 8th. We only do that to guess. We erase Axelrod stuff all yeah, the exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. That's the cover mine up as well. That's the privilege of uh, being a, a, a hack, a full-time hack, yeah. Thank you, Molly. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. And I hope to come back sometime. We could talk about what we got right and wrong. Yeah, absolutely. We will have you back many times. And it's a pleasure to be with you. You can't have enough Murphys, David. I keep telling you that. (laughs) No, I feel like a a piece of bologna and a Murphy sandwich here. uh, (laughs) And probably people will say there that you'd send bologna is the right word. I think a lot of people would say. But anyway, (laughs) great to be with you guys. All right. See you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.